We have something special for you this week. It's a Best of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul episode. And it's because it was so good, we want to be sure everyone gets a chance to hear it. Right. That's our reason. We really care. But we will be back next week with a brand new show. And that one will be special. For what it's worth. Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, I just want you to know. I'm a national leader, my friend. <laughs> well, at least I'm, a, I'm a part of a team of leaders. I Okay, I hate to ask, but leaders of what, Rick? Uh, I can think of a couple categories. Well, well, this one you'll be proud. My city of Sacramento, the very town where we record this podcast, is yes. number six in the nation on money spent on alcohol, both lifetime and annually. <laughs> well, congratulations. Yeah, I'm leading I'm, us straight into temptation. That's right. This is a town. We average uh, apparently $1,900 a year on booze. Which for you is pocket change. That yeah, was your bar bill last week, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, I was – I must be uh, – so somebody out there is not drinking enough. <laughs> <laughs> somebody else is letting down the side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's just start of the fun info we had today because, you know, we got a bunch of studies for you. Oh, Paul. not studies, Rick. I know how you love them, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So we have studies. Okay. We have some studies on people's reactions to screw caps, yeah. on how wine might determine how often you go into the hospital, mm-hmm. and some details on, on people's wine processions from people even you respect, Paul. They're the folks at Sonoma State University. Oh, I actually teach over there. They're, yeah, they're, they're cool folks. They're, yeah, yeah, they yeah, know yeah. some things. That's Liz and company over there. Yep. Um, also, today, listeners ask about wine at weddings, how to tell when a wine has gone bad, and it's, I think it's when they they take the guns out and start shooting. Um, and why sommeliers <laughs> never seem to recommend wine from America. Ah, uh, well, yes. Plus our horrible wine writing, uh, yet another insensitive white writer calls you a fool, Paul. Me? Well, that, yeah, you, and that goes without saying, but really all of us in this <laughs> okay. case. Um, and pretty much everyone everywhere, this is what that writer's talking about. And as usual, we are going to be making fun of wine stumps. By the way, uh, here we are still on Capital Public Radio podcast lineup. Uh, that's uh, Sacramento's NPR station, Paul recommended podcast lineup. So thank you, These Capital are... Radio, because uh, NPR, uh, we hope we're not destroying your image. We hope we're not doing lasting damage. I don't think they're listening to us, um, which is, <laughs> they, you know, they, let's hope that stays that way. And everybody else. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go. So they are in tune with the crowd. We are also on Napa Broadcasting, our friends at, at Napa Valley College. That's right. The fine institution, number one community college in California. And yet you teach there. <laughs> yeah. And don't forget, look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Rick and Paul White. Go there, ask us a question. All right, Paul, buckle up. Study time. Oh, God. All right. The first one comes from Washington State University. Okay. So I just wrote a book with a guy from Washington State University, and he actually kind of knows what he's talking about. So this... I can't wait... You got my attention. I can't wait to quote it on a podcast. Uh, (laughs) All right. So it was published in the International Journal of Hospitality Management. Yeah. Okay. So what they did was they gave 310 people four glasses of red wine and each had – and the uh, wines, if I remember, they were – each were two red blends uh, in those four glasses. So two the same each. And they they mixed it up so the combination wasn't the same for all. Right. The methodology is good randomization, as they say. Yes, it was. Okay. And then they showed all of them a picture of a closure in front of it. So there was like sitting in front of each glass was a picture. And it was Uh a regular cork, a synthetic cork, clearly synthetic cork, a screw cap, Uh and a glass closure. None of them had a picture of you in front of it, right? No. They would have run screaming from uh, the, okay. The, so, uh, okay, I can see where so, this is going. Uh, so no surprise, which one do you think they liked best? They liked cork the best. Of course they did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody knows that. Yep. Yeah. 
And Wait a minute. How long did this study take? Because uh, you and I could have told them that right away. I, I think, okay. you know, that's the thing about science is you have to be, you go slow you and careful. Think, right. Um, yeah. And then by significant margins, by the way. By, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, well into the, uh, the fast majority. Yeah. And, and screw cap came in last. Yep. Also yep. by a lot. Yeah. No surprise. And yet there's this continuing growth in screw cap. So what, uh, what's going on there, Paul, do you think? Uh, well, you know, I, I always tell the story when I'm teaching and I've got 15 bottles of wine to open and I look oh, yeah. down the row there oh, and yeah. think I got to pull 15 corks. The fact that four of those wines have screw caps, I look at those four wines and I think you nice little friends down there, you're going to yeah. be easy to open. So right off, the, it is an easier closure. It seals the wine really effective. Screw caps work. Yeah. You know, there are countries, Australia and New Zealand, where they have extremely high uses of screw caps, and everybody's happy with oh, them. Oh, yeah. You can't find a white in Australia and New Zealand without a screw cap. But when your father-in-law comes over to dinner and you want to impress him, you he's take... not impressed with a screw cap. Yeah. He will only be impressed with a natural cork pulled out of the bottle. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the really the transition is sub- pretty significant. I mean, in 1999, in the U.S., it was 3% of the wines. And, right. and last year, it was just about a third. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you're right. And, you know, we've, we've talked about other studies that you've loved where um, that when you tell <laughs> – there, there haven't been any other <laughs> But there, when you tell people the wine is good, they think it's good. When you tell right. it's expensive, they think it's good. And, and, and when you tell them it's a screw cap, they, they think, think it's eh. Yeah, and the yeah. cork says this, is, this must be the good stuff, especially, right. especially when they're sitting there with those four pictures in front of them. Now they've got some right. frame of reference too. That's so. right. All right. Yep. All right. Study number two. That's about wine and landing in the We're already done with the first one? That was easy. Yeah. Okay. Oh, get, this one gets good, too. And these are from, from pretty respectable folks. Okay. It came from researchers at Harvard. Oh, what do they know? And, well, there's <laughs> Harvard. And, and, and you know how we know they're smart? No. Uh, you, uh, they, they study. I mean, they study, they're Harvard. Yes. No, that's not the only reason. They, okay. they chose to study people in Italy. <laughs> well played. <laughs> well Excellent. Well played, yes. Yes, we're going to do a study. Yes. We need to spend the next four months in Italy. Yes, I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm, I'm applying for a grant. I for, can see why Harvard tra- attracts some of the best and the brightest. Well, I'm thinking, you know, wine in the tropics. Wine is, in the tropics. Is an important topic to How study. How does wine on the beach? I'm going to apply. I'm going to apply for that grant. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, all right. So, uh, in any case, the study was published in the, in the journal Addiction. Okay, which is something you read every day. Um, you I'm, can't put it down. I can't. You, you, you beat me to it, yes. <laughs> the researchers tracked more than 21,000 men and women living in Italy for six years okay. and said that the moderate consumption of al- alcohol, such as a glass or so of wine a day, uh, meant a lower risk of hospitalization or of suffering heart disease. This is yet okay. another one of those sorts of studies. And non-drinkers were actually 11% more likely to land in a hospital bed. Right. Yeah. Well, let's just I, – I think we're due for a glass of wine right uh, now, Rick. You know, because I was – Your shoulder's I, acting I, up. Yeah, I'm a little sore here. So <laughs> I was going to call my doc, but maybe um, – and what, what I did like about this, because these are after Harvard, one of them uh, – they didn't commit to this entirely. And one of them was an associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, said, we are absolutely not saying that any teetotaler should start drinking to improve his or her health. Yeah, actually, I have a good friend who – is a professor of internal medicine at Harvard Medical School. And the first 
first thing he always says when he talks about wine and health is these are generalizations. No, in these generalizations don't apply to any single person in this entire room. Of course. And the other point we should always point out when we start talking about health advice is do not take it from us. We're not doctors. We are. There are many things we are not. And doctors <laughs> is at the top of the list. <laughs> so, but we're just, we're just we're passing just stuff along. Just quoting Harvard Medical School. Uh, yeah. That's right. All right. And finally, there's this regular survey of consumers that comes out of Sonoma State University's Wine Business Institute. Yeah. They're good people. They, they, are. they hire me and they pay me from time to time. Well, so, so go they're, figure. They're also charitable. <laughs> <laughs> I said good. Yes. Good. Yes. All right. So and the way they did the study, and I like this too, because it wasn't just a choose one. What they did is they give them lists, and you can right. you can check off one, two, three, as many you as you want. You can vote as many as often as you want. The idea is to get this randomized sense of how much people like stuff. Right. Right. And right. so we should do that on our show sometime. <laughs> what? How <laughs> data? Why do people like us? No, no, no. <laughs> the, no, no, no. Because the answer is going to be no. <laughs> None of the above. Yeah, right. Yes, I, think, I think we should not do any studies about <laughs> – Okay. No studies about our show. <laughs> right. okay. uh, but, so they're so, voting on what they like about wine. Yes. Okay. Uh, so like, for example, you could, both, you could check both red and white. That would be fine. Yeah. Uh, so nearly yeah. half said they like wines. This is no surprise. A little on the sweet side, Paul. They also liked wines that have a smooth texture and taste fruity. I could have told you that. I didn't need to survey. How many people did they survey? A lot. Yeah. Um, I could have told you that. It was a thousand. I could have told you that. They just need to talk to me, Rick. Yeah. Yeah. I would have told them that. Anybody uh, who's a a sommelier because they'll tell you how everybody in the world's wrong. They're wrong because they shouldn't like those wines. Right. That's what uh, that's what you always hear. Maybe maybe that's why people don't listen to our podcast because sommeliers are telling them they shouldn't like us. So they got one thing right. <laughs> and smooth. Remember, we've, we've, been over, we've been over this word smooth. And we've been over this word smooth. I thought yeah. you were going to say talking about us and being smooth. No, no. That's, no. Not, a, that's not a phrase. That's one of our used. problems. We are not ever put in that same we're that not sense. Sm- yeah. smooth. We're not smooth. We're not really very sweet. We do taste a little fruity at times. Yeah. There's so that. We, at least we got that going All for right. us. Uh, so, and then uh, the – the dry wines only scored about one third. Yeah, so, and remember, you can have more than one. So that actually, right. that's very low. And yep. uh, uh, unfortunately, Paul, there was no measure of whether they liked minerality or not. Well, they couldn't figure out what it was, so nobody knew <laughs> yeah. how to say whether they liked it or right. not. Um, but once again, it's, it tells you something about the gulf between the average wine drinker and the folks who write about it or try to sell it to them too. You right, know? because the average wine drinker likes smooth, a little bit sweet, and fruity. Yeah. And we've established that yeah. many times on this show. Yeah, the, and yet they still listen to other people. If, you know, uh, it isn't like we couldn't help them. You know? Just <laughs> That's true. Um, the other one, okay. too, that the stood out to me was then making buying decisions. The, right. the top influence was price. Shock. Of course. 80%. 80% yes. had price in there and brand. Basically 70% had had brand in there, you know, which is consistent over the years. It's been consistent right. over the years. And meanwhile, things like even the varietal in the country were only one-third. Right. So there, people are going, they want a red wine, they want a white wine, they know the name of the Winery because well, they, they know had the it before. price. Yeah, and they know the and price. And they're shopping in a supermarket, which yeah. means all the prices are kind of lump. You know, all that price is kind of they're in the same there. spot. Yep. And they're looking for a name they recognize, and there you go. It's you know, as if there were a plan here. Yeah, and uh, if I remember, labels were about a quarter, and ratings were twenty three percent. And metals, this is uh, for somebody uh, you and I both judge a lot. Only nine percent. Over nine. Well, they know well, who's judging. 
Yeah, maybe that's the thing. They, they've heard us they say gotta, that we've judged one competition. They have competition. to do this survey without but tell them you and I didn't judge. <laughs> that's I, right. I, I bet they trust them more. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I know a couple guys who deserve a medal, and that, that would be us because we're going to answer some questions. Oh, that's heroic of us. And by the way, thanks for listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Go ahead, ask us a question. Uh, you can ask us what we know about anything. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll give you we'll give you the same incompetent answer whether it's about wine or something else. We'll tell you exactly how Go much ahead. we know about anything. Give us a medical question. <laughs> and don't forget, you can find us Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine. Uh, we are also on Apple Pie Podcast. Apple e- Pie Podcast. Apple Podcast. Just, you can easily find us. All right. So this is cool. from John in Carmichael. Okay. He says, how do I know when a wine is bad? And that's, am I supposed to check for that when they have me taste it at a restaurant? Uh, actually, John, yes, you are supposed to test for that. And the first answer is if it tastes bad to you, then that's a good indication that it's not a good wine. Having said that, the specific thing that most sommeliers and everybody else are looking for is for you to tell them whether or not you think the wine smells a little moldy from a bad cork. Smells like mildew, smells like that sponge that you keep near this kitchen sink. And if the wine smells like that, you can turn to the sommelier and say, you know, I think maybe we should try another bottle or even just say, hmm, this isn't exactly what I expected. Maybe you could have a smell and see if you think the same thing. Actually, I hate to, I hate to give you credit for this, but that's really good advice because the, if you're not sure – and you know, some, it may just be that you don't like the wine, but at least you want right. to know that some, some might might be a reason why you don't like it. It might be something wrong with it. There's, you know, there's other things that could happen too. There's, you know, it could get a little vinegary or a little bit oxidized or something. Yep. And yep. that's that sponge is not a bad example because it, it actually represents a lot of things that could go wrong. <laughs> um, but if it if yep. it smells, do you like anything other than wine? You know, right. the wines you've had, and it could be the cheap wines or the good wines you've had. It really doesn't matter. There's something that just seems weird or off, or when you taste it, same thing. Thing. Right. Um, if it right. feels like there's just less something in there, go ahead and ask them to help you out. Yep. Yep. And uh, they won't and, lie to you. They generally won't lie to you. And I've done this actually, and and I know what a bad wine smells like, but I've done this with a waitress in a fairly good restaurant who hadn't been trained on this. And so I said, hmm, I think there's a problem with this wine. And I held it out to her and she said, I'm not very good at this, but let me go take it over to our good wine buyer. Good for her. And sure enough, bottle came back. Yes, you're absolutely right. You, you need another bottle of this. Yeah. You know, so, in, in my checkered career, I've done a lot of restaurant training and a lot of, you know, how to wine yeah. service and how to speak English about wine. And, and that's the, the very first thing that, that you, I you tell should, them. You should try that on our show sometime. Is, is, speaking it, English about wine. Nah. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I'm, I'm going with Italian. Never worked. Uh, but, you know, it is – and and th- that is a thing, you know. I mean, honestly, if the wine – the restaurant cares at all about its wine, uh, which most do, yep. they, they try to have the servers taste all the wines. And so, you know, the, if the they server – have an idea. Yeah, have an idea what they are yeah. and, and they might. But, but that's yeah. the thing. And if the server seems unclear, it's okay to say – you know, it, it just you know, you be be nice to them about it. So you, yeah. just in case you don't, maybe your wine person or your manager would right. have a better idea. Yeah. Now, there's one other scenario here, which is if John's tasting the wine, if John picked a wine off the list and said, right. "I want the Cushman Pinot Grigio," oh, that's good stuff. Then, if he smells it and he's not sure he likes it, he picked it. Yeah. On the other hand, if he turns to the waiter and he says, "You know what? I really like." I really like Cushman Pinot Grigio. 
and the waiter shows up with a Wagner Petite Syrah and says, here, you're going to love gonna this. That's going to be terrible. Then he can, he's within his rights to say, well, wait a minute, this doesn't taste anything like Cushman Pinot Grigio. Which is like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and when when the sommelier or the waiter has suggested a wine to you right in they, response to your suggestions yeah, or then your you comments to, you, you totally get to not like it then you get to be able to say yeah. you know this isn't really what i was after yeah. and then you can have another conversation absolutely about it. yeah yeah yeah. and okay. actually if you get in a place where they're doing that sort of thing then they'll, they'll probably be pretty good about it yeah. too. And, and, and and don't worry about them because they can always sell it by the glass exactly at the bar. right yeah. exactly yeah. right they won't toss that wine out they'll sell it by the glass yeah, and maybe even better just in case they don't sell it by the glass they'll end up drinking it after shift <laughs> All right. The next one comes from Julia in Santa Rosa. Cool. Uh, she says, I saw a story with 13 Psalms saying what their go-to wine was on a major website. Yep. That wasn't the wine on the website. The story was on the website, I'm presuming. <laughs> but a- anyway, then she says, then I saw a story in magazine name removed so we don't get sued, asking 10 Psalms for recommendations of their favorite wine bargains. And this is her still, which weren't all that bargainy because I don't know anyone who considers 48 bucks a bargain. Well, she's right about that. Yeah. So in the stories, total together, the number of American wines they named was zero. What is wrong with those people? <laughs> <laughs> well, Julia, you have hit the nail on the head. They suffer from acute sommelieritis. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's new. Yeah. I like it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a it's a, an often fatal disease. It's inflammation of the ego. It's which makes them not like anything that's popular. So they absolutely have to. It's a little bit like um, fear of of crowds. Their fear is of any wine that is popular. Yeah. And yeah. so they immediately run screaming from the room and try to find some wine that nobody's ever heard of because that will make them seem smart. It unfortunately doesn't make them seem helpful. Right. It only makes them seem smart. Yes. There are and you know we're we're really we're really beating up on Psalms although these what 13 23 here uh, certainly all deserve it. Um but right. the you know there are plenty of Psalms who aren't this way too but so often they're talking to each other. They're trying to impress other Psalms with a with their wine list or or yeah. with these yeah. recommendations in a magazine so somebody yeah. will read them and say, "Oh, they picked the Claude I've never heard of it before." Right. And the um Rather than actually giving you information in that a magazine, that a regular popular magazine where somebody's going, can I find a bargain wine? Right. Because I, I want some for tonight. Well, you know, I'm going to tell a quick story here about David Glancy. Master sommelier runs the San Francisco Wine School. He and, yes. I, he and I were at a seminar once where a guy who was an F&B, a food and beverage guy from a restaurant, was explaining how he developed his wine list. And somebody asked the guy, wait a minute. I'm looking at your entire wine list, and those people who come in and want a bottle of white Zinfandel, I don't see anything on the list that's going to make them happy. And the guy says, well, we don't care about those people. And David Glancy, master sommelier, trains other people to become master sommelier, stood up and said, how can you possibly afford to say that you don't care about your customers? If somebody shows up at my restaurant, even if I don't have a white Zinfandel on the list, if somebody comes up to me in a restaurant and says, you know, I really like white Zinfandel, I got a case of that. 
I've got a case of it underneath the bar. And if somebody really wants that, you can bet your bottom dollar. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get that bottle and I'm going to bring it to them. And I'm going to make my customer happy because that's my job. It is your job. And, you know, we've we've talked about this in the past. Um, There have been lots of studies. Our friends at Cornell who do this one regularly about hotel, their hotel, their school for uh, hotel administration. Um, they uh, they have found when people like the wine, they've done the study in oh, half a different they ways. Spend so much more money. Spend so much more money. They <laughs> more will, time. They they like the food. They have a better. Yep. They even eat more. Yep. So you know, yep. if you're a restaurateur, yep. this you explains why Rick runs five or six miles a yes, day. Well, I do eat a lot because I like my wine, <laughs> or, or something like that. <laughs> something like that. Okay. Well, exactly before we right. Ca- cause any more questions? That'll be it for now. But you know, when we stop doing that first round of questions, you know what that means, Paul? Yes, it's time for some really horrible wine writing. Oh, it's horrible, horrible, horrible. <laughs> yeah. And um, the one that you have brought in, Paul, uh, I'm going to be banging my head on the table as you read this. Okay, so move the, move away from the microphone <laughs> okay. right, so I don't deafen anybody. But yes, this is a winery that's trying to get you to buy their wine by making it sound, let's say, really romantic and magical. Oh, oh, huh? I'm telling you. Okay, so it starts with clones, 115777. 113 and Mount Eden. Soils. Weathered sedimentary rock and weathered sandstone. Trellising. I'm I'm already weepy, Paul. (laughs) Have you been been, uh, spirited away to a special place? It is. It's just I'm I'm so engrossed in this. Trellising. Bilateral cane and spur pruned. Fermentation in stainless open-top tanks. Four to six-day cold soak. Ten-day ferment. 100% de-stemmed. This is like going to a concert by Yehudi Menuhin and having him describe the varnish on his violin. (laughs) This is – okay, this is all the stuff – and, and, you know, for those of us in the have been in and around the industry, we know what this stuff means, but I still would never describe a wine this way. Who cares? And who cares? It's like, who Don't cares? Don't tell who me cares? how you made it. You but, know what you ought to tell me? Tell me why you made this wine. Yes. Well, what you could do is you could take this and say, these are all the things you should never, ever put in a wine description. <laughs> yes. 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 By the way, um, there is, after endless detail... There is a short tasting note. Shows intense red and dark fruits with hints of vanilla and spice, <laughs> plush which, texture. Which is what you could say pretty much about any any red wine. Well, I love the fact that it's red and dark fruits. Yes. Yes. Because that really hits the nail on the head. That's pretty much all of them. <laughs> yeah. 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 That right. is what's called a shotgun descriptor. All right. Okay, so what do you have? Well, this is the, this is the uh, wine writer who's called, uh, called you a fool, Paul. Uh, this is what they do, and this I, one, I want a piece of them. I'm, th- I'm thinking I'm starting to have a, a, a battle plan, but I, 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 I'll talk about. It. So this is a major magazine and a wine writer, and, and this wine writer does this often, which just insults the readers. Uh-huh. Uh, and and here's the headline: uh, Eight the wine- reason the reason this writer is insulting me and not you is that I can't read. I read. Right? Yeah, no, exactly right, <laughs> Claire. Well done, Claire. All right. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> this is headline is eight ways you're drinking champagne wrong. Does she mention a shoe? <laughs> Nine ways. <laughs> All right. Okay. So here's here's a couple of – so this is the thing. But this is that, you know, the you're yeah. wrong stuff. Whatever you yeah, do, it, whatever you do, Rick, yes. do not have fun with wine. Yes. You're doing this wrong. You're in the wine shop wrong. You're talking right. to sommelier wrong. Stand you put your shoes straight. on backwards. That's right. 
Yes. Button that shirt. <laughs> yes. And don't ever come to school I, wearing that Levi's I, jacket again. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> All right. So here are the couple of crimes that she accuses us of. You're trying to cork up leftover champagne. Or worse, you're wrapping the top of the bottle with saran wrap. Have some pride. Now, Rick would say there's a simple solution. Well, uh, first off, I got two things. Yeah. <laughs> leftover? <laughs> <laughs> And second, finish the bottle. I'm not a young guy. I have been around a lot of people drinking a lot of sparkling wine. And you know what? I have never seen anybody take out the saran wrap. No, I have seen people put spoons in it. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a different thing. That's a different thing. Although she didn't get to that one. Yeah, uh, okay. But saran, saran this is wrap. just making it up. And then well, they have some Maybe pride. she's making it. Maybe yeah. she likes to wrap herself in maybe saran she, wrap. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I know this writer. I don't like that. Oh, okay. Okay, next. <laughs> All right. You're fooled by Flash and familiar names. Well, that's us. I'm Flash and you're familiar <laughs> um, names. I am pretty familiar. Um, <laughs> maybe t- Whatever that most means. Most people say I get too familiar. <laughs> Whatever that means. You're fooled by <laughs> yes. Flash and familiar. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Fireworks? It means you're, you're buying a bottle of wine that you know. That's, she's oh, a, she's don't unhappy with that. that you okay, know. okay. You're casual about opening the bottle. Remove the cork properly the way the pros do. And don't you dare shake before opening. Well, actually, I'm going to vote on this one because um, – and, and I don't know how she says pros open bottles, but the one serious bit of advice I will give in the five years of doing this show is if you're going to open a bottle of bubbly, throw a towel over it yeah. before you open it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that, that champagne stopper can find its way very quickly into some very nasty places. Yeah, so. but the – and don't you dare shake the bottle. That's just the way she says it. Um, and the other thing too, actually, by the way, you know, if you are taking the SOM test, you have to have the cage still on. Right. Which well, is a really difficult way to get the cork out. It, actually, I find it easier because yeah. it allows you to grip the cork better. It's, it gives you – it's like having yeah. an extra set of pliers. But the, the pros also use sabers. <laughs> it's a giant – just slice the top off. Okay. So whose mom is this anyway? Uh, it's, it's, don't you dare. Is, yeah, I know. Don't you, right, don't you um, dare. Yeah. And here's the last one uh, that we're going to get to is you're getting regular size bottles. I don't know about your friends, but mine aren't satisfied with only a glass or two of bubble. Okay. So, so now she's insulting my friends. Well, wait a minute. What I'm wondering is why is she worried about the saran wrap if they're finishing off bottle after bottle That's after bottle? That's a very bottle? good point. Why the hell? Why, who cares about the saran wrap? Just yep. finish the bottle. Yep. Okay. And, you know, I, I well, on the same hand, I like the principle of getting a larger bottle, but this I is – I also the, like the principle of being careful how you open it. Yeah. But, but I don't you think still want to disagree. Because, because <laughs> nobody likes – being a grown up and having being told what to do by right. their mom, and this and it, and it's just bad for wine. And people are already afraid enough that they're going to do something wrong. So what and we're here's gonna, somebody telling you all the things that you could do wrong. So what we're going to tell this woman is no, no, no. I'm going to say eight things you're doing wrong in writing. <laughs> in writing about wine. Right. right. <laughs> well, I think it's time to get back to some questions. Okay. That's what I think so. Uh, don't forget, you can ask us questions at rickandpaulwine.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at. Paul, Rick and Paul Wine, uh, just that. Just Rick and Paul just Wine. Paul just Wine. Yep. Rick so this and is from Pete in Davis. Cool. Uh, this was actually a conversation I had with Pete, but I'm uh-huh. so I'm paraphrasing here. Okay. So we were at a wedding at a winery. I didn't know you were a paraphraser. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, so actually, let me say, I was with Pete at a wedding at a winery. And uh, it was open bar for beer and wine. And so they're, they're, they were filling the glasses almost to the rim. And yes. Pete comes up to me and says, what was that? Don't they know any better? They may know better, but I, there's a there's a word for that method to their madness. Well, I told him there's a word, there's a phrase we call the wedding poor, <laughs> and there's there's two reasons yeah, for that. Yeah, but and, the, the first time and I just got off a cruise ship where they also filled the not they didn't fill anywhere close to the rim, but you know on those the tulip shaped glass normally a 
the really correct pour is just to the widest part of the glass. It's right. really only about a third of a glass. These guys were pouring closer to a half. And the real reason they were doing it was they just didn't want to be accused of pouring short. Right. But there's another reason. There's actually two others. Catering companies do right. this. Well, and before you get to that, there's also the at weddings, especially early on, they, they got to clear the bar. Uh-huh. They don't want people standing in line. Right. So they're going to give you some wine, enough wine to keep you away. To keep you away for and a while. And then use the catering, catering and company. And then the catering company says, I get paid for the number of bottles I open. So if everybody goes home and there's two-thirds of a glass of wine in every wine on the table, that's paid. wine I yep. sold. So I get paid for it even though nobody drank it. Right. So that is why we call it a wedding pour. It is It is not particular to weddings, but is often most common. Yeah. yeah. And it's actually unpleasant. But what are you going to do about it? It's a wedding. Just be quiet and well, eat the cake. Well, do what I do. I chug half the glass and then I enjoy the second half. So. <laughs> Actually, what my wife and I do frequently in a scenario like that, she takes an empty glass. I pour half of mine into hers. Everybody's happy. There you go. There you go. Right. The next one is from Emily in Pacific Palisades. Cool. And she says, this is actually a very good question. Uh, is how, in fact, we've talked about studies on this in the past. How much does a label affect sales? Mm-hmm. And do stores try – and this is actually really interesting. I hadn't thought about this. Do stores try to show off alliance with good or interesting labels or maybe carry dull ones if they're trying to be elite? Well – it's really fun to sit in because I've done this, sit in a, a um, consumer research session and listen to people talk about labels because for all the wonderful things that label designers come up with, most Americans, when they look at a bottle of wine and they look at the label, what they want to see is cream-colored paper and gold yes. foil. Yes. They want it simple, elegant, yep. and nice. Right. The problem is one of the definitions of marketing, one of the definitions of good design is you want to stand out from the crowd. If everybody's got cream-colored paper and gold foil, then you've got to do something different. And that creates all of these wild labels. She's right. Labels do affect wine. But the old rule for, for anybody in the wine business is a good label will only sell the first bottle. Well, in many cases, that's what you're after. You know, after but, that, you got to hope that they're going to like the but, wine. You know, this goes back to our cork study. It, yes, it, it, does. it looks like an expensive wine. If it looks like it's worth will, real will money. Buy. People are willing to pay real money now, for there, it. And there is a change, however. And one of the changes is uh, with a lot of younger folks these days that sort of don't haven't been around mm-hmm. the traditional. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's the I, you know, it's the like I love the way we generalize with millennials. There's only 83 million people. <laughs> they're all the so same. So right? we say the, the millennial will. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have two. Daughters who are millennials, and they are different. Let me just tell yes. you, they're different from um, each other. So. But for a lot of folks who, and you and I have talked about this on the show, about, for example, many of the students that you teach, um, yep. you know, that for them, drinking wine and, and, and going out and cocktails and that sort of thing is about fun. It's and about so, fun. And so if the label's fun, there, there is a draw. Fun. And then the other thing that many consumers mention when they're looking at labels is they want a sense of personality and they want a sense of authenticity. So, Rick, I've been thinking you and I should put our faces on a bottle of wine. Yeah. I was actually thinking if you're we're, they're hunting for personality and authenticity, we should probably end the show. <laughs> All right. So that is it for another round of Paul's well, Talk. Well, it's Paul. time to wrap it up. Uh, and, indeed. Our producer is the, the erstwhile and steadfast Anthony Van Hook. Who Thank you, com- Anthony. keeps coming back despite having spent time with us now. <laughs> uh, our associate producer is Jerry Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us in their podcast lineup. Recommended. Recommended podcast. And don't forget, you can find us at uh, Facebook, Instagram, 
Instagram or Twitter at rickandpaulwine.com. No, just at rickandpaulwine. I want to add that dot com, but that is our website. Yep. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's screw caps are great and a glass a day keeps the hospital away. We did not say that. How, how about moderation in all things? Much better. Okay. Except <laughs> for us. Better. Listen to us with zeal. <laughs> yeah. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.